This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. Welcome, friends, to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. It is a great pleasure to have with me a holy rabbi, a holy Kabbalist, and teacher, and therapist, coming to us all the way from Jerusalem, from Yerushalayim. Rabbi Rachman Biton, welcome to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure to be here. I'm excited to hear your story. I'm excited to uh, get to know you. And uh, I'm just, I have some notes over here on the side that speak a little bit about your bio. And I want to just jump in just to hear a little bit about some of the of the work that you do. So I'm just going to read some different uh, d- different notes over here. So first of all, you have been studying Torah and Kabbalah in yeshiva for over 25 years, and you spent the past 10 years studying and teaching Torah and Kabbalah as part of the Nahar Shalom Yeshiva of Mikubalim, that's Kabbalists in Jerusalem. So you have this Kabbalistic side to you. You're a teacher of Kabbalah. You've been studying it for over 25 years, and I want to hear a little bit about your your backstory shortly. But then on the other side, this was the favorite. This is my favorite part of your bio. Actually, something that I pulled from your website, and that is your Lev Emuna therapy, which that seems to be sort of your your flagship program. This this methodology of therapy that you developed, and it says on your website that. It's a fusion and an integration of, I love this, but the next couple of lines, I love it, of hypnotherapy, NLP, EFT, releasing technique, NVC, reality creation, reality, transurfing, LOA, manifesting, the emotion code, breath work, heart coherence, theta healing, Silva method, Enneagram, TFT, Bankston method, and various other healing methods, mindfulness meditation, and various other meditation modalities. That, to me, is like poetry. I love it. I love it. So let's start a little bit. We're going to get into, I want to discuss Leva Moon. I want to hear all about it. But first, tell us a little bit just about yourself and how you got into this work. Where are you from? How did you get into studying Kabbalah in Nahar Shalom? How did you become a yeah. therapist? Give us a little bit of a window into the world of Rabbi Biton. Yeah, sure. So I was born in Toronto, in Canada. And, um, well, from a very, I've been in yeshiva, you know, uh, uh, all my life. And from a very young age, our family, well, our family background has always been very connected to uh, Mekubalim. We have a lot of Mekubalim uh, grandfathers, great-grandfathers from Morocco, big tzaddikim. And so Kabbalah was really something that was familiar, something gro- growing up, Kabbalistic customs from the Ben Ishchai that we, that we practice. Um, and it always fascinated me from a young age, the stories of uh, the tzaddikim, you know, these holy uh, Jewish mystics throughout throughout history that had always this power of um, manipulating reality, and uh, they could bless somebody and have a spontaneous healing of like the most horrible symptoms, and they could bless someone and they could have miraculous uh, uh, financial uh, success come to them. And so it always fascinated me the power that uh, that these tzaddikim had throughout the generations, um, up until the past generation with the Baba Sali, for example, and even in this generation, there are tzaddikim like that. And 
was interesting to me, what is it that these Sadiqim did? How how could they harness this power to control reality? Because to me, if a person can demonstrate the power to change reality, direct reality in a certain direction, using what we know from the Torah, using what these Sadiqim did, I think that that's one of the most beautiful ways of glorifying Hashem's name. That's one of the beautiful ways of showing the real power, the supernatural, the transcendental power of the Torah um, that we have. So from a young age, I was really interested in that. I would read a lot of stories of Baal Shem Tov and uh, Baba Sali and, and Arizal. And, Can you just pause um, for a moment and just clarify, what do you mean when you say changing reality? Changing reality, meaning that a person has, let's say, if it's a physical symptom, if a person is sick, a person can go to a rabbi, a person can go to a tzaddik, and we've had we have stories documenting this, thousands and thousands, get a blessing, and that's it. Spontaneous healing. The reality changes. So if you're able to demonstrate that change of reality, the control of reality, so that the reality is not controlling you, you are the one who is influencing reality in a certain direction. And this is what I believe is the purpose of us uh, Jews in this world is through the power of the Torah is to direct the world to a world of peace, a, a world where the divine blessings are tangibly experienced by all of us. Um, and it's kind of like how within the Jewish nation we appropriate that to the tzaddik. The Zohar speaks about the tzaddik yisod olam. The tzaddik is the pillar upon which the whole world stands. And the pillar, the Baal Shem Tov explains what does it mean, the pillar, he explains it, he translated it as the channel. All the blessings of the world, the life energy, whether it's finances, whether it's health, whether it's uh, family, whatever it is that you wish for, physical blessings or material or spiritual is all channeled by the tzaddik. And so in the grand, if you look at the whole universe, our nation is the tzaddik who brings this rectification to the whole world, the takin olam b'malchut shaddai, to rectify the world, to be a world that's uh, experiencing the divine blessings. That's our purpose. And so I wanted to find the way that these tzaddikim did it. What is the secret behind it? There must be certain practices that they did, processes that they did, uh, that would lead them to be able to channel that power and bring these blessings. So I know that it's definitely not just fulfilling Torah and mitzvot the way that you know we think, just the way that comes to us. There must be something in the way that you're fulfilling the Torah and the mitzvot. There must be something in the way that they're praying. There must be something in the way that they're meditating. Something in their something about what they're doing that we can all tap into. That's a that's a fascinating that. point. I just want to want to just focus on that point that you just said, just for the listeners, because that is beautiful. Because you know, again, I grew up in different circles, also in a religious home, when more in the yeshiva community, not Hasidish, not Svardi. And the concept that you just said, even though we heard stories of tzaddikim, we heard stories, and and just for the listeners, if you're not clear exactly what we're talking about over here, you know, the the, the word tzaddik is a word that is you know bounced around, and literally it means you know a, a righteous person. But when Rabbi Vitone is speaking about the role of the tzaddik, the way that the the Kabbalistic tradition has viewed the tzaddik or Hasidim or Svardim is is is, is more than just a rabbi, more than just a rabbi of your of your shul, more than just someone who's dishing out 
you know, rulings of Jewish law of halacha, but actually someone whose whole essence is that it's really through them. They are the pipeline where, you know, wonderful, incredible things happen through their blessings, through their power of healing, through the miracles that might come about through them. So that is the role of, of the tzaddik, which again is not as much focused on in the world that I grew up on. So the world that I grew up in, it was really just like, do what you're supposed to do. You know, you if you learn more Torah and if you pray, you know, with a, a little harder and if you follow halacha properly, follow Jewish law properly, you'll become great. And that's, and, and that's the pinnacle. But what you were educated on and what you focused on and what you made your life mission is an understanding that, yes, obviously we're trying to become great, but there are very specific techniques that are uh, that 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 are necessary also to activate this spiritual power that you're speaking about. Correct. Yes, but it's not only what I was educated in. This is also what I've come to discover through through my exploration, because I I read all these stories and I asked myself these questions. I asked myself, well, what are they doing? What did they do? How can I ever hope to become somewhat like them? Right, the tzaddik is also the inspiration. He brings the inspiration. The, the wise men of the generation are those that give us new eyes to see things in a new way, a new perspective. That's why they're called the Eneha the Chachmeha the wise men of the generation, are also called the eyes of the generation because they enlighten our eyes. And that's really what changes everything is that new perspective. It's the possibility of a new reality. And so I went to seek what what is what is it that we can do to tap into that? And throughout Yeshiva, I uh, well, when I was 13, Bar Mitzvah, I I had I was I received as a present from my grandparents a trip to Eretz Israel, a trip to Israel, and we came here and we visited a lot of rabbis. One of them who uh, has been really uh, central, very very uh, uh, important figure in uh, for our family uh, for many many years is Rabbi Benayahu Shmueli who is actually the Rosh Yeshiva of Nahar Shalom, where I studied today. And I was this little 13 Benayahu Shmueli. Shmueli, yes. This, this is a rabbi who's still with us. Yes, he's the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva at Nahar Shalom. Got it. Uh, of the Kabbalists in Jerusalem. This is a yeshiva. It's one of the oldest yeshivas of Mekubalim today. It's uh, almost 100 years old. It was founded by the late Rabbi Mordechai Shrabi Zatzal. Rabbi Mordechai Shrabi. And um, so I was this little 13-year-old. I came to the yeshiva and I came to sit down with my my hero. You know, I, I heard so much about this rabbi and the great Kabbalist. And, and he gave me all the time and attention in the world. You would think a little 13-year-old, you know, what? But he sat down with me in the base medish. I still remember to today where we were sitting. And, and, uh, and uh, I asked him all my questions. Wow. And the thirteen-year-old has in Hebrew. You, you spoke Hebrew well. In Hebrew, yeah. In Hebrew. Well, I picked up Hebrew uh, when I would read these stories, bi biographies of uh, tzaddikim and these miracle stories. I found that my mom, my mother, has a whole library of these books. So I get a lot of my interest in this from her, uh, the stories that she told me growing up. And so I would read these biographies in Hebrew. And my Hebrew was only as good as any yeshiva boy, you know, so it's 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 okay, but it's not fluent. It's not like uh, what you speak in Israel. 
But when there were words that I didn't understand, I asked my mom. My mother's my mother is Israeli originally, so that helped. And then, uh, so I'm asking Rabbi Ayao Shmueli all of these questions, sitting there in the base medrash, 13 year old, uh, questions about the Arizal stories, things that I heard about the Arizal, things about about previous lifetimes, reincarnations, really kabbalistic stuff that were were interesting to me. And and I saw this Rabbi Ayao Shmueli as the Arizal of the generation almost. You know, oh. uh, I asked him things about my past lifetimes, but he answered things to me very very clearly, and he put me in the right direction. So I wouldn't be. You know, a lot of people beginning on that path and interested in Kabbalah, they get lost in a lot of fantasies and a lot of things that are not actually grounded in reality. And Rabbi Nayao is just the opposite. He's, he's completely grounded in reality. And, uh, and that was one of the great things that he gave me in that, in that conversation. He, he, put me, he put me on a path. And he, I asked him, you know, how do I do if I want to continue going? I was going to go back to yeshiva. I was going to go back after this vacation uh, that summer to yeshiva high school in Toronto. And and I, I needed to be put in a path. What, what, what to spend my time, where to invest? And he gave me specific instructions. He told me to study a lot of Baal Shem Tov, Baal Shem Tov's uh, disciples, Talmudim, which is interesting. because The Sephardi rabbi was telling you to teach As a Sephardi Kabbalist, yes, as a Sephardi Kabbalist, it was interesting that he would tell me that. Wow. But this is what he told me. He told me... Uh, 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 Lots of books from the, the disciples of the Baal Shem Tov. And I didn't even know Baal Shem Tov, who, what are the books that the Baal Shem Tov wrote, who are his disciples at that point. I didn't know any of that. And I went to the bookstores, I went to the swarm stores, and I would ask him, you know, give me some books of Baal Shem Tov, Baal Shem Tov's Talmidim. I didn't even know the names of the books I wanted, and that's where I began. And he also told me to study a lot of books from the Ben Ishchai. Okay, and he even gave me some biographies as well about his Russia Yeshiva, Russia Yeshiva of Yeshivat Purat Yosef, Rabbi Chacham Yudat Sadka Zatzal, who was his Russia Yeshiva. He gave me a biography about him. Uh, and then I went back to Toronto. I went to Yeshiva High School. I was in a very Litvish Yeshiva. Okay, Lithuanian meaning that they, they're, they're not very warm to Chassidut. And yet I was the guy in the Yeshiva who would hide his Hasidish yeah, books. So you were, you were flying solo on this journey. Yeah, well, yeah, I was... Were your parents Siddharth. acquainted with this area of study? Like, were you able to receive some of these teachings from from any of your parents? Um, Not really. It was it was more about what I found in the books that we had at home. Books from the Ben Yishchai, biographies of Sadiqim, and then the books that I bought, Baal Shem Tov, Kedushat Levi, Ber Maim Chaim, and so on and so far, and so on and so forth. Now, we were also very connected in our family to the, a rabbi who was a um, the Shamash of the Baba Sali. He was also a, a student of the Baba Sali. He studied quite a lot from him, and he was a miracle worker on his, in his own light. Very, very, very powerful miracle worker who, who passed away not too long actually, ago. Just share, share just the timeline here. Uh, he passed away, uh, I would say, about 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, now, so he was. His name is Rabbi Eliyahu El Fasi. That's all. 
and he would uh, he had a kollel when when I was a little boy he had a kollel in Israel and he would come to Toronto and uh, stay by our house and ha uh, people would come and visit and receive blessings and there were miracle stories after miracle stories things that were mind-boggling that my parents told me that I was witness to at that time people in Toronto today could could still tell you stories people that are now today uh, religious Jews because of the miracles that they witnessed through this, this holy rabbi. And so there was something about him that I would pick up on, something about you know, a certain ruach, a certain spirit, a certain energy. When you would speak to him, um, that, that you would almost become a part of that energy. And this is a very important point because I believe that that's what the tzaddik does. Okay, I'm just fast forwarding a little bit. This is part of what I've discovered is that state of consciousness that the tzaddik is able to channel for himself and for, for the whole reality, for the whole world around them. Uh, and so I was, as a little boy, I had a connection with this rabbi. And then when I went to yeshiva, I would ask all my questions to him. I would call him up from yeshiva. Supper time, I remember after, after second Seder. I would call up this rabbi with all my questions once or twice a week. And every time the answers he gave me were answers that could not be found in a book, not something that's intellectual. It was always something that would just open up my heart and just give me like a whole new, a whole new dimension of understanding things that, uh, that almost intuitively I knew was always part of my knowing, you know? And so it was like a confirmation of what I was feeling, but was, I needed someone to come and reveal it from within my heart and he did that for me and then when I came to Eretz Israel when I came to Israel at the age of 18 after high school um, I think two years later this rabbi passed away uh, but the first two Purims that I was here in Israel I, I spent some time with him so all of this was really to show you how I was seeking, I was exploring, looking for, when I was in the Litvish Yeshiva and I was hearing all of, a lot of Musar, we heard a lot of Musar, a lot of words of uh, uh, instructions on how is the right way to live and how is the right way for character person, development, person, personal development, character development, personal development and all that. Um, the challenge was, well, practically, it wasn't always very easy to make that type of change. And to be the person that you're supposed to be, quote unquote. So, so this also was one of the things that was very important for me to find out because it's not just what you see, uh, 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 cause and effect, natural. Just if you try to do things in a certain way hard enough, then you're going to succeed. I realized very early on that it doesn't work that way. The world doesn't work that way. We don't work that way. And so I wanted to find, at the same time, what are the hacks the formulas that will allow us to efficiently and effectively create lasting change. If you have a, a, an issue with laziness or that label, I, I think it's just a label, like I say it's just a label, then how can you change that uh, character trait, right? How can you develop uh, a life where you're not procrastinating, where you're, you're tremendously uh, uh, successful and um, actualized, fulfilling your purpose, and at the same time with a balance of healthy leisure and relaxation, right? balanced life. And what I found was that it's not about the things that can be told to us on the level of conscious thinking, analytical thinking, cause and effect. There are many modalities of therapy out there that deal with that. 
And what I found is that uh, that has very many limitations. What I found instead is that we need to uh, explore the power of the other states of our consciousness, uh, mainly beginning with the subconscious mind, in order to create lasting change. So that when I don't have those things that are blocking me, those self-sabotaging habits that have been fueled, stuck, suppressed, or repressed in the, from the subconscious mind, then I'm able to create that freedom to live as I wish to live, to be as I wish to be. So this I love is that. Also one I love that. The, so just just pause thoughts. on that point. If that specific thing that you just said, that is Kabbalah, or that is just deep therapy. Like, at, at what point did you see those two things? Well, meeting? this was my own realization from my own okay. experience. Okay, I, I am in yeshiva and I hear Musar Shmuz after Musar. You're saying shmuz. something is not working. There has to be another tool that's being left out of this process. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm doing, and okay, so they tell you, well, try again. Well, you didn't try hard enough. Well, push again. Well, I realize that it doesn't make sense that it would it would it would be this way. There must be some element here that is missing. And if I find that element, I am sure that I will experience easy lasting change. Okay, so if there are aspects in ourselves and our character and our personality that we uh, learn about in the Torah that we would like to uh, we intend to, change to be a different way, then there must be some way that the Torah gives us, some power that the Torah will uh, shine light on that will allow us to get there efficiently. So that every step of the way, I'm experiencing every step of the way more and more of that success. Not something that if I, if you struggle hard enough, I was feeling from all of the Musar that I was hearing that if you struggle hard enough for enough years and push and really, really push and really break yourself, then eventually you'll have this type of success. But that didn't make sense to me because what I realized from the patterns that I see in the world is that there is also a gradual and an incremental opening that happens every step of the way. There's a gradual and an incremental opening that happens for that success every step of the way that you can tap into. And that's what we want to find. That's what we want to find, the success, the light, the, the freedom that we can tap into in the here and now. And so what I realized is that it needs to be something that comes from a different state of consciousness than the one that we're used to functioning with. The, the one that we're usually functioning with is that you have a problem, then you need to break it right. in order to get to the solution. You need to overcome it, overcome your struggles. But the subconscious mind works in a completely different way. And what I was finding at the same time as I was studying Hasidut and Kabbalah is that Hasidut and Kabbalah was pointing, was giving me the pointers of the next steps of where to find that and how to tap into and, that. And I guess using and, a language language which informed at least i would say for me like what when you see terms like mochin de godless right expanded consciousness states of das or dveikus right suddenly kabbalah or chasidus is speaking about consciousness and using language that is not used in other things that are that, that i think are feeding or pushing you in the direction of, I think, what you were saying, and that is that, one second, there, there are higher channels and uh, we got to activate them. We have to learn how to how to awaken those channels. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say that all of Kabbalah and Hasidut are speaking the language of experience rather than intellectual conceptualization of experiences 
And uh, that's really the problem. That that the problem is that people get stuck stuck in that intellectual conceptualization of the experiences, and that, that keeps them separate from the actual experience. So we can they they can speak all day about how things should be and how I want to become, but they're not experiencing it. They're still keeping themselves separate by being stuck in that place of the conceptualization, the intellectual conceptualization of it. So did, did you immediately wanted... go to, so did you, was that your sort of path out of kind of like the mainstream yeshiva system? Did you make an immediate decision now to 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 go to a, 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 a yeshiva, a Kabbalistic school? Uh, well, no, that wasn't, that wasn't something that changed that was always what i intended to do as even plan. from my my first my first visit to the nahar shalom yeshiva when i was bar mitzvah i said to myself this is my dream even before that right that's what led me to go to the visit and to see the rabbi but even but all of those years of of uh, high school yeshiva in toronto and we have long winters and lots of snow and it's very dark out and uh you go to yeshiva and you plug away a good 10 11 hours of of learning studying gemara day after day and what was the fire in my heart was this vision this dream of being part of the Nahar Shalom Yeshiva um, at some point in the future. Well, but was that unique? You know, like when you, when you walked in as this 18-year-old, you know, Canadian kid, like I'm sure that that was like you, were there a lot of you there in that Yeshiva, guys like you? No, not at all, not at all, not at all. The That's only really... one, the only one speaking only... English. There's one other rabbi that also speaks English, is also from Canada, a different part in Canada, but, uh, but he's a different age. He's... Uh, is uh is older than me but at my age uh, i was the only one speaking english the the americai right i love they it don't, i they love don't it it's fascinating canadian american yeah i've never <laughs> i've never met anyone who comes from a similar background to mine who immediately jumped in like that so that's fascinating so how long did it take you to find what you were looking for and talk about like some of those early teachings where really like once you're learning this, you're like, yes, like this is what I've been looking for. Yeah. So I would say it was, it started off with the Baal Shem Tov um, Alatora, which was one of the, one of my main foundational books here. This one, this is a version of it. I have so many editions of it. When there's a book that I like, I get all, all my favorite, all the nicest editions that come out. So this is a two volume set. Um, and I brought it back with me from Israel. And I started studying it diligently on my spare time in between uh, all the Gemara. And, and uh, I studied it, finished it once, twice, three times. Every time I finished it, there were more and more epiphanies. Um, were they learning, I'm sorry to interrupt, were they learning any Gemara? Were they learning any Talmud in the Kabbalah Yeshiva or that's not that's not even part of the curriculum? They do. We do. We have half a day. We study uh, but it's more focused on halacha. We get tested in the rabbanut, so we have uh, we have uh, rabbis. We have a whole uh, curriculum where people get tested and get certified as rabbis from the Jerusalem rabbinate. And then there are people who people who get tested and receive their ordination ordination as a dayan as a judge. And That's so fascinating. Have... I, the listeners, I want the listeners to understand that. That means what you might expect from a Kabbalah yeshiva is a bunch of people floating, you know, on the ceiling when you walk in, but actually they're spending a large chunk of the day learning very grounding 
aspects of Jewish law and becoming, you know, rabbis who can rule on just practical, you know, day-to-day matters. That's that's just that's a, uh, an important point, a fascinating point. It is, and like I said earlier, Rabbi Benayahu Shmueli, the Rosh Yeshiva, he is very, very grounded in reality and in halacha as well. In Kabbalah, there is this a uh, big appreciation for the laws, the halacha, recognizing that we call it the vessel, we call it the kli. And without the vessel, we, we understand you cannot contain the light, you cannot bring the light without the vessel. And so these this aspect of consciousness that is developed, that is built through studying the halacha and the Talmud, is really what builds the vessels for all of those deeper understandings of Kabbalah. And as you continue to study Kabbalah over the years, you your appreciation for the Talmud, for Halakha, for the, the Shisha Sidre Mishnah just grows exponentially. It's unbelievable the depth and the, the genius. It's absolutely divine. It's It has to be supernatural. What you find in the formulas and the structure and the patterns in the in the Gemara, in the Talmud, and in the Halakha, it all parallels what you see in Kabbalah, what you see in in the spiritual realm, and so so that's very important. That's Absolutely. wonderful. Actually, very similar to something or of Dov Ber Pinson I mentioned before we started that he was just on the podcast, and it's actually interesting because he he said that same thing. He says he spends a lot of time trying to fuse together Kabbalah and Halakha. For the listeners, that's mysticism and just practical Jewish law and showing how, you know, how, how, how they weave together. So just going back to what you said before, so you, so you have the Baal Shem Tov, you're learning the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and the Kabbalah Yeshiva. So just uh, as far as like substance, so what were some of the initial teachings that were really drawing you in and really telling you like, these are, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I didn't find, you know, previously. And, 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 and this is what I came here to study and to understand more of. I would say if I were to narrow it down into one point, it would be the focus of the Baal Shem Tov on helping us access states of what he called Dvekut. Dvekut is feeling one with the divine and experiencing states of, of joy and happiness in your prayer. And he gave, he gave us actual uh, instructions on how to access that and how to experience that. So then now my definition of a successful prayer is not limited to what I had from maybe the Musser background, which was, well, if you pray with perfect concentration of the meaning of every word and your mind doesn't water, wander and you're following all the laws perfectly, so then that's a good prayer. No, now my definition of a good prayer is the extent of your connection. Your, your feeling of being connected, that joy of feeling connected with Hashem while you're praying. And so that was a big uh, paradigm shift that, 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 uh, that happened uh, through the study of Hasidut and through the study of the Baal Shem Tov. And then I started practicing it. Whatever I studied, I saw it as an instruction for meditation. Okay, let me try this out. And so every time, every Shemun Ezra, every prayer was, um, was an experiment. Let's try it out. And uh, for every name of Hashem, there was a certain meditation that we would try for X amount of months. And uh, and then we would understand something else and try something else. And so this way we got experience, practical experience from what I was studying in the, the Baal Shem Tov. Um, and at the same time, I also found out about Rabbi Nachman of Breslet. 
which which also uh, very very significant uh, very insignificant inspiration in my life that uh, when I found Rabbi Nachman of Breslev and the way that he was just kindly speaking about his process, you know, very specific and very detailed and very clear, especially at the beginning of Zichot Haran. It's, you know, there's a, a small book printed called Shivche Haran, the praises of Rabbi Nachman. Uh, and it it outlines his trip. He he traveled all the way to Eretz Yisrael, and he was young. He was very young. I mean, he lived a very short life physically, and uh, not many years. And so he started from he, in his great experiences of 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 Dvekut and his 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 inspiration and the the chidushim, the insights from a very young age. And it's all explained in detail. In that book and in the book Chayim Haran and in the book Sichot Haran, where there's so many instructions, very clear instructions of Rabbi Nachman of what he went through and, and how is the most optimal way of getting to these uh, next level, these supernatural levels of, of, of holiness, of, of experiencing the divine, of harnessing and channeling that Ruach HaKodesh, that spirit of holiness. And what I liked about it was that this is exactly what I was missing. I was missing a step-by-step -step someone who, so to speak, puts themselves in the trenches with you. Who tells you these are the challenges you might experience and this is how you will overcome them. And I and he says that I have gone through all of this that you might go through. I've gone through all of this and this is how I've gone, how I succeeded. And he didn't just succeed on a small level. The, the levels that he achieved are, are unheard of. And so this became very important for me to study Rabbi Nachman of Breslev. Mm, I love that. We've uh, actually had several with... podcasts with lots of great guests. And maybe I'll, I'll link them in the note, in the show notes uh, over here. But we've had uh, Rav Nassim Maimon on the podcast, Rabbi Yaakov Klein wow. on the podcast, Gedalia Fenster, others who've spoken a lot about uh, Rabbi Nachman. And it's always it's always fascinating. And I know a lot, lots of our listeners enjoy when Rabbi Nachman is brought up on the podcast. So when when did all of this start leaning towards becoming a therapy? And over here, just you know, in in the bio that I mentioned earlier, you know, you you know so many different techniques and so many aspects of therapy. So when when did your life start shifting in that direction? Okay, so at the same time as I'm doing all this study and exploration in Kabbalah and Hasidut and uh, growing in that dimension, I'm also keeping my eyes and ears open. And uh, looking, what are the therapies, what are the modalities of therapy out there that are most effective and most efficient? Like I said, I don't like wasting my time. Okay, so if someone tells me, well, if you listen to this Musur enough times and if you force yourself enough times, you'll get there. I don't like hearing that. I want something that is concrete, effective no nonsense, real results, lasting change, not something that you have to force yourself for a week or two, and then you fall from that, and then you, you're told, oh, well, you have to try again, you have to push yourself again, which is true in everything in life, but I want something where you get lasting change, and so I started exploring all these different modalities and, and trying out for myself and for people that I knew, friends of mine and yeshiva, and family members as well, whoever, you know, people that I'm connected to, and seeing what works, what are the what are the insights that actually cause change? What are the, the the techniques that actually are helpful? And not just for me, not just for my friends, but what are the things that people out there 
in the world at large where people have the greatest the uh, results. That was really important for me to find. And that's where I started looking. I'm, I didn't I didn't study conventional therapy where people can spend years and years and years just talking about their problems and not really getting anywhere except for believing that they think that something is changing. But instead of that, I looked for the things where, for example, one of the first things that I started studying was hypnotherapy. You know, you can come to a hypnotherapist and they hypnotize you and that fascinated me. What is this hypnosis? They hypnotize you and they give you some suggestions and all of a sudden you're naturally inspired to 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 live according to to those changes. That was really really fascinating to me because that's that's the type of change that I'm looking for. Something like that. Something that goes beyond the limitations of the physical. Um, it's absolutely now, fascinating to I'm me as well. Finding... I I would actually love to hear you maybe just comment on that a little bit because I'm I, I'm curious about hypnosis. The hypnosis that I've seen is more like uh, you know entertainment at parties, seeing whether someone can Stage get up hypnosis. on stage and make a bunch of 15 year old yeah. kids bark like dogs is the hyp- hypnosis. Yeah. But I understand that people do uh, you know hi- hypnotherapy. Like if you had to explain it to someone who doesn't understand or who knows a little bit about you know consciousness, like what 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 is it? Is it activating different parts of the brain? Like how did that? What 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 are the mechanics behind it? Well, basically, the to understand it simply, it's the recognition that when I have an intention, let's say a person is having an issue losing weight, having an issue uh, with overeating, okay? The challenges that they have, they probably think it's because of something that they're consciously aware of, because we usually live in that realm of regular states of consciousness. When we speak about your conscious mind and your subconscious mind, it's not like a different part of the brain. It's just that if you were to imagine like this huge iceberg and the tip of the iceberg, not just the tip, even the tip of the tip is maybe your conscious awareness of what is going on in your environment at the moment, what's going on in your body. And that's only maybe a 0.0000000001 of what is actually going on in your reality. Okay. But the brain cannot process all of that consciously. And you would probably go crazy. We would probably go crazy if we had to process that consciously. Okay. So that's why we have this part of us that is subconscious, kind of like working in the background, taking care of all these things. Um like maybe your heart rate, your hormones, your level of relaxation, your level of understanding, um, and a lot of things that are going on in your environment that you don't really need to pay attention to. You don't need to be bothered by, but your conscious mind goes through certain filters and uh, stays focused on the things that are going to help you. Uh, Now, if a person has struggles, has issues, usually they think, well, Uh, If I consciously tell myself that I'm going to stop eating all this ice cream and all these cakes, then I'm probably going to be, I'm going to probably stop eating those ice cream and cakes. If I tell myself I'm going to stop smoking, I'm probably going to stop smoking. And we all know that it doesn't work that way. So how, what is going on? What's going on is that the reasons why you're eating that way or smoking or those other habits that you're wanting to change is not something that is necessarily only in your conscious mind there are elements of it that are connected in your subconscious and 
through hypnosis, we're able to communicate with that part of you so that that part of you is no longer working against you. One of the great hypnotists, genius of a guy, uh, Milton Erickson, we integrated a lot of uh, his insights in, in our therapy. And he says that all of my clients are my clients because they lack rapport with their subconscious mind said, all of my clients are my clients. The reasons why they're my clients, why do they need therapy? It's because they are lacking rapport with their subconscious mind, meaning there's an, a feeling, a, a sense of, of inner machloket, inner turmoil. There is, there is a part of me that wants to be healthy and fit and thin and breathe healthy and be a non-smoker. But then there's somehow... This inner struggle, this part of me that doesn't want that. And it's as if people are fighting themselves. So through hypnosis, we create rapport with the subconscious mind. We get to know the subconscious mind. We, we look straight. We communicate with the subconscious mind. We say, what is that, that part of you that is right now wanting that cigarette? That part of you that wants to eat all that, those cakes or the, the pizza or whatever it is. What is that? And can we get to a place where we're all working together synergistically so we all feel heard, we all feel understood, all parts of us are integrated within that one intention. So the, the client intention in, of being healthy. The client in the hypnotic state is in a trance-like state or is communicating with you, but just in a in much more relaxed and, and able to access insight that maybe they ordinarily couldn't, but now they're just kind of more calm and relaxed. So they're so they're speaking it out, or they're sort of more inside themselves and maybe experiencing you know visuals and visions or things like that like what is the experience like so first of all this is exactly the definition of trance what you just described that is trance when you are more aware of what is going on inside that part of you that even you even when you're not... just having a conversation absolutely absolutely one of the things that we've integrated in Levemuna is conversational hypnosis because there's this whole concept of being able to have a conversation with somebody and embed certain suggestions and speak with certain metaphors um, and use certain linguistics certain patterns that directly communicate with the subconscious so that what the content the intellectual concept, the content of the conversation is actually being uh, easily uh, transmitted to within the heart or within the subconscious of the person. And why did that fascinate me? Because this is exactly what our rabbis, our tzaddikim describe that uh, Rabbi Nachman speaks about it, especially in several Torahs, how the tzaddik or the Moshe Rabbeinu is able to speak words of Musar which usually we don't like to hear when we're told how we can be improving ourselves, but they're able to impart those words of wisdom in a way that it is automatically uh, built within you. It's automatically embedded. It's automatically programmed within my subconscious. And that's what the tzaddikim would do. That's the power of the tzaddik. And so what I understood from that is obviously that the tzaddik is able to communicate on different levels of consciousness, which is affirming everything that we know. So this is what we see in hypnosis. This is what we see in hypnotherapy. In conversation Can I just clarify one thing? When you myself, say that tzaddik is communicating, you mean that he is on a different level of consciousness or that he's able to pull you into his state of consciousness by 
raising your consciousness through his communication with you? So I would say like this, I would say that all of the states of consciousness are all taking place all at once within you. These are all parts of you and it's all there right now and right here. Question is, which radio station are you which going channel to channel you're on? Into? Right. Yeah. So the tzaddik and uh, what, we'll, what we teach in Lev Emuna is that the Torah teaches us to do this is a complete integration and a connection of all the states of consciousness at one. This is complete dot, where I'm able to be that awareness behind the whole show, aware of this is what's going on in that part of myself, and this is what's going on in that part of myself, almost as if I, the dot, the awareness within me is the tzaddik of my small universe. The Baal Shem Tov teaches that each one of us is a small world, a small universe. Everything in the whole universe is contained within you. And that dot, that awareness of what's going on within you, and that dot, that awareness of the divine that is always present is the tzaddik within you. And so all of these states of consciousness, yes, they're all integrated through the tzaddik. And so the tzaddik is able to communicate it in a way that the content of what he is saying, those words of insight, those words of wisdom, are not just something that now I have to take and I have to work hard in order to, uh, to actually apply it. Within the words of the tzaddik, he is transmitting that so that that inspiration, I can find myself tomorrow and the day after and years from now living slightly differently just naturally because of that inspiration, because of those words that I received. And so that was really interesting for me. Wow. It's interesting for me because imagine if I can learn to teach Torah to people right. using these elements of conversational hypnosis so that I'm not just teaching people insights of Torah and then they have to go and struggle and try to apply it practically, but my words and how I'm speaking and the linguistic patterns that I'm using are speaking directly to their subconscious and creating the change that we seek to experience. That's fascinating. So can you give an example of, of, is that, does that have to do with, with a tone of voice? I think you said linguistic patterns. Can you give an example of like uh, what that might be? Yes, it definitely can have to do with the tone of voice. Tonality definitely uh, has an effect. But I'll give you, there's so many ways to explain this and so many examples, the linguistic patterns, the uh, the, the the parts that are communicated uh, through speech that are usually picked up on by the subconscious and they, they just transcend what you're consciously aware of. So the simple rule to remember, if you want to understand this and how to practice this, is that anything that implies trance creates trance and what that means is that if you speak to a person about a subject or you speak to a person in a way that in order for them to really understand what you're saying they need to go within themselves and they need to go into a trance state that's not analytical right it's transcending the analytical mind then just because I'm speaking about concepts and speaking about a subject and in a way that they need to use their subconscious mind they need to use a trance in order to understand it so it creates trance just by speaking to them about it so whatever implies trance 
creates trance. If I were to say to you, when was the last time that you felt exceptionally happy? You have to go inside and you have to remember a time when you felt exceptionally happy. And if I ask you, if you were to right now think about that time, can you feel a little bit of that happiness in your body right now? Now, if you were to actually say, yes, I feel, I can feel a little bit. I can feel maybe some of that, that joy in my legs and my arms and my chest. You are in a trance because in order to experience that based on your memory, you need to go into a trance. So just by speaking to someone in such a way, you're able to lead them into that state. That's fascinating. Okay. So when you have stories, for example, you have mashalim, the right? You have the tzaddikim that give us parables and metaphors. Well, for example, um, uh, Erickson, Milton Erickson used a lot of hypnotic metaphors. That's something that we do quite a lot in hypnosis because for a person to understand meaning through a metaphor, they need to go into trance. Hmm. See what I'm saying? So trance is pretty much their their mind. I'm I'm like I'm just thinking earlier when you were speaking about your experience as a 13-year-old meeting uh Benayahu Shmueli. So like I was locked it was fascinating to me. I was locked in. And in my mind, I'm like, I was there with you, you know, thinking about that. So I'm wondering if that's what you mean when you say trance, something that is that is um putting me in a state where now what I'm, what I'm, I was experiencing that. I'm like imagining yeah, myself, absolutely. 13-year-old Shlomo Buxbaum speaking to this, what that would have done for me at that stage in my life. Exactly. And if we were to just focus on things from the analytical mind, you would say, well, you know, right now, right here, we're, we're speaking, we have, we have this conversation, this interview, this podcast, and, and that's a different time. That's a different place. That's a different person. So the analytical mind wouldn't be able to really tap into that. But because we're speaking about something that implies you need to go into a trance in order to understand what I'm saying, to process what I'm saying. So that type of conversation, that those type of words, that type of uh, speech will lead a person into that state of, of trance. And then the subconscious mind is open and you're able to communicate there is there is a, there is a peace there's an integration there's a dialogue there's a dialogue from you within the, all the parts all the parts of yourself are able to communicate and when there's that shalom when there's that dialogue that peace then there is a potential for healing for healing for lasting change because the problem with people that don't have lasting change is that they're trying to create that change through force through the analytical mind and force resistance it's kind of like a pendulum. So you can push it only to a certain degree and at a certain point it comes back and it hits you in the face. And so that's where people get stuck. It's this pendulum. In Kabbalah, this is the aspect of the six days of the week where the Zohar says, um, sometimes pahor, sometimes you're pure, sometimes you're impure, sometimes kosher, sometimes not kosher, sometimes permitted, sometimes prohibited which is the six aspects of Halakha and Mishnah, just to show you a little bit of the Kabbalah and the Halakha and the laws right. of the Torah. But this is the pendulum. It's sometimes like this, sometimes like that. People that are stuck in that space, they're always struggling. And they're always struggling with the same problem. Yes, we are taught that life is all about growing and in that growth there are challenges. But you don't have to keep on... Uh, I'm going to say something 
return to the same, there's a, 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 a metaphor in, in Chazal about like, like a, a dog that, that uh, vomits and then returns to eat that same thing that it vomited. Person doesn't need to return to that same, that same, those same limitations that they want to be free from. You can, life can become gradually better so that your challenges of today could be great, could be a higher, could be in a higher place with more freedom, more success, more fulfillment than the highest highs than you ever had before. But next to your next highs is the bottom. So that's where we want to get to, where we're constantly ascending, where gradually it's a spiral upward. And so to create that lasting change, you need to be in harmony with all the parts of yourself so you're not fighting yourself. When you're fighting yourself, people are fighting themselves and that's where that's where they keep on breaking and they keep on breaking they have to so know. i want to ask you two more questions since we're running out of time i'll ask them both and then you can either answer both of them or one of them just depending on how much time you have number one i'm just curious to understand a little bit more about you know when when you when you're combining kabbalah and therapy is it that you have sort of found the place where they are naturally in sync you know eric i think he's a Mil milton milton erickson i think is the name that you said you know says something and that's along the lines of what the Baal Shem Tov says and that's nice because we found a nice synergy or is there something where you have found that kabbalah has something to add on to the therapy that you know the therapy itself or the nlp or the hypnotherapy would not get you there and kabbalah really pushes it over the edge that's one thing that I'd love for you to clarify a little bit more. And then also maybe just to end off, maybe you can just share with us more for the listeners, for me, for myself, more just practical tools for someone who is trying to change a habit, who is trying to whatever, whatever the example might be. What are some of the tools that you um, may recommend for them to do? Excellent. Awesome questions. Okay, so regarding your first question about... This is basically the next part of what I explored was that as I was finding these other modalities of therapy, and you listed a whole bunch of them before at the beginning, um, I realized that if these modalities of therapy are working and there are such wonderful results by people out there in the world, uh, documented results, then wouldn't it be interesting if there was a common theme, some sort of pattern that I could find that was similar, that was even the same among all of these modalities of therapy? And maybe if I can go deep enough, I might find that one element that is really behind the success of all of these modalities, and these modalities are just different ways of expressing that same element, practically. That was my next question. And I found that absolutely, there were some similarities. Actually, there were several similarities, underlying patterns, that common thing, common thread that was at the center of all of this. And then the next question became, well, wouldn't it be interesting if all of that was taught in the Torah? Because if we understand that the Torah is the wisdom of the divine, it's infinite wisdom, it's the truth, then if there's anything that's actually helpful and beneficial and effective and efficient as a form of therapy, then it must be that the Torah speaks about it. The Torah must uh, point us to it. And so I was looking in 
Chasidut and in Kabbalah. And what I found was that those underlying patterns, those common threads that I found in all these other modalities that I studied, was also what Kabbalah was teaching us and Chasidut and Rabbi Nachman Likute Maharan is just the whole Likute Maharan is, is, th is this. It's just a book of, um, of experiences upon it uh, and experiences of, of, of Hashem's light in a way that is channeled and heals us from all of our problems. So what I found was that the, the Kabbalah and the Chasidut is what brings us to understand the most important elements that are helpful and beneficial in all these other modalities. So what's really interesting is that all of this that I said right now is, I would say, beautifully expressed by the Or Chaim HaKadosh, Rabbi Chaim Ben Atar. He has this explanation where he says that, uh, he explains this when the Jews were in Egypt. He explains this to us, the concept of selecting the sparks, a very, uh, very uh, com and, and very known, uh, famous concept from Kabbalah, that we are here in this world to select the sparks of the divine. That when Hashem created the world, there is a mixture in this world of, of light and darkness, light within darkness. And what we are doing, our interactions every day with the world, with the physical world, um, is all about selecting the sparks of light, the sparks of truth, the sparks of the divine from within the darkness, from within the chaos. Creating a world, a rectified world, a, a beautiful world uh, from within the world of chaos. Okay. And so selecting the sparks, how does that happen? What is going on here? What are these sparks? Do we actually have sparks? What does it mean selecting the sparks? Rabbi Chaim ben, ben Atar, the Orachim, explains that if you were to imagine your consciousness, the light of your consciousness, the experience of the divine within your consciousness, as this tremendous light that has a magnetic power, so to speak, ke'evin hasho'evit, like this, uh, like a magnet. Now, when you take a huge magnet and you put it next to some crumbs, right, of iron, whatever, and you all done this experiment in, in school, it all, it, 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 it's all included. It jumps up and it, it attaches itself to the huge magnet. And so Rabbi Chaim ben Atar explains that that, what you want to do is to increase the light of your consciousness so that it is a, a, tr a tremendous power of divine experience. Magnetism. Such an magnetism. Now, this, this light of consciousness, wherever you go, whatever you do, when you eat food, when you speak to people, when you drive your car, when you walk in the street, any sparks of light of divine that are found in those interactions will come to the light and will be reintegrated they will become connected and part of your soul and they empower your soul and then you bring it up to the mothership so to speak which is a whole other process we can speak about at a different time but this is how we now in kabbalah they explain that any suffering that a person has in life it's because sparks of holiness that you have failed to free from the darkness. Those sparks of holiness represent all of the life energy, the vitality, the experience of blessings. Is all and maybe you're doing something that. to repel it as well, to actually, you know, push them away, maybe. Right. Yeah, well, people, they cover it up. They cover up the light with even, with even more coverings. Instead of revealing the light, they cover it up. So what we want to do is we want to create that level of consciousness so that as 
we constantly create it, but we want to increase that level of consciousness of the divine so that every day we are coming with more and more light and we are more efficient at selecting those sparks and then our life becomes increasingly exponentially better and better. Uh, one of the main times when we do that, according to Kabbalah, is in our prayers. The three prayers of the day are, are most important, uh, the most important tool of self-transformation, healing tool in the world are those three prayers, if you know how to use it, if you know how to, you know. Now, um, so looking from the perspective of Kabbalah, Kabbalah gives us a formula, a uh, an understanding of the system, an understanding of of what transcend all transcends all of the modalities of therapy. Okay, with the understanding of Kabbalah, you have all of that and more. So one of the small, tiny side effects of understanding Kabbalah is that when you look at these modalities of therapy, because of that light of consciousness, you're able to see almost like with X-ray vision, what are the underlying elements that are making the magic happen, okay? Because those are the sparks of holiness. And as soon as you see that, it's integrated. And now you can come back to the texts in Kabbalah and Hasidut, and you see that, that they're not only pointing to those elements, those aspects and these modalities for healing, but there's dimensions and dimensions further and deeper than that. Because it's not only about getting rid of your problems, it's not about just having freedom from all of the limitations, but it's also about accelerating and increasing um, the, the, the experience of the light of Hashem and being able to channel that light into this world so that it transforms your reality. So that this world becomes a world that uh, that that reflects those blessings of Hashem in a tangible way. Wow. So that was your. You really wow! Question. You said that beautifully. You said that beautifully. It's incredible. It's incredible. All right. So give us a practical tool. Just some some mindset, because it sounds over here. It sounds like the 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 foundation of the th your therapy is really trying to awaken and activate that light that's inside of me that is going to be that magnet for this positivity to happen so you mentioned you you mentioned prayer but maybe there's just some other tools techniques mindsets things to think about questions to ask ourselves that we can take with us that can put us in that space absolutely so one of the main things that we teach in Muna and one of the foundations of the therapy is that in every experience, what we want to do is we want to sweeten judgment energy. This is one of the one of the foundational points that you'll find in every other effective modality of therapy is that the healing happens to the extent that you're able to sweeten and dissolve the judgment energy that's at the core, that's really at the core of why you have that challenge, why you have that problem. If you're able to identify the judgment energy, the layer of concealment, the layer of block, and you're able to dissolve it, sweeten it, soften it, unravel it, then that's what frees the light. It frees the light and you're able to experience that, that, that perfection, the shlemut that's on the other side. So prayer, in order for it to be effective, it needs to be able to do just that. It needs to be able to get you from a place of experiencing lack, experiencing doubt, fear, judgment, unworthiness, and we have so many other ways of explaining it in, in Levemuna. And 
dissolve that within the light, through the light of emuna, through the light of uh, your soul, through the light of Hashem that is always present. And to the extent that you do that, that causes a unification. In Kabbalah, we understand that a prayer, in order for it to be answered, it needs to cause a unification. And what, what is that unification? From the place of lack that you're currently experiencing, you are uh, combining that, integrating that, healing that through the light of Hashem that is always present. And in that, that way, where you stand, right here and right now, you will experience that transformation that you're seeking to experience. So one simple exercise that we can all uh, uh, practice uh, that really embodies this. It's a breathing exercise, and you can do it in preparation for your prayer, or you can do it anytime throughout the day. Uh, and I would just introduce you to this uh, this very short meditation, very easy, practical technique by envisioning it, visualize it, almost like a bow and arrow. You know how you have a bow and arrow, and you you pull you pull it, and there's an increase of tension as you're pulling back there's an increase of tension increase of tension increase of tension you get to the end and then you release and you let go now what's really interesting is that the czar compares prayer to this exacting that i just did okay that's what yes and the Zohar says that there are three arrows three chitzim each arrow line in hebrew it, it, it from the 22 letters of the alphabet it looks like a vav and that vav, three times vav, three times six, the numerical value is 18, which is the 18 blessings of the Shemona Esrei. Uh, and it's also the tzaddik is called chai. He's alive. 18 is chai. He brings life. He's the channel of life. And so, but back to the technique, we imagine that you're, you're pulling back and you're increasing tension and then you let go. This is how the breath is going to be following that exact uh, pattern. I would encourage you to try it out for yourself that when you inhale, you increase the tension. So your inhale is focused, it's intentional. And when you exhale in this particular breathing technique, allow it to be all on its own, as if you release- Shooting the arrow. The arrow. Yeah. Listening. That's it. So you're not doing anything. You're not involved in any way. You're just allowing the exhale to take place however it takes place. Sometimes it'll go quickly and sometimes it'll go slower, but you're not doing anything. You're allowing it to happen however it happens. Okay, so that's the first part of understanding how this breathing, how it looks. The tension is on the inhale and then the release is on the exhale. Complete release. I'm not putting anything into it. Now, if you were to combine that, and we combine uh, breath work with intentions, that's only one of the ways that we teach people how to uh, release their blocks. But if you were to combine that with a challenge that you have in your life, think about the number one challenge that you're currently experiencing. And usually that's what gets in the way of experiencing the light in our prayer is because we have all these problems and, and troubles and things that we're worried about personally, things that we're worried about globally, um, as a nation, the news, uh, whatever it is. If you were to focus on one thing that is currently troubling you, and on the inhale, what I want you to do is just to gather up. You're gathering up. You're pulling together 
all of the unpleasantness that you currently feel anywhere in your body and anywhere in your consciousness regarding this challenge. And just allow it to be gathered up. You're bringing it in from every direction. And in the exhale, just allow it to pass through. Hmm. You're not pushing it out. What usually people do is they push it out. And that resistance causes persistence. So back in the pendulum. You're not pushing it out. You're just allowing it to pass through you. Wow. And if you can continue doing that, you can set yourself a minute or two, three minutes. You'll see the change is is absolute. It's real change. And this can uh, really open up things for you. If you have something that takes a couple more minutes than two or three minutes, then that's fine. Sometimes I recommend and encourage my clients to do this for 10 to 20 minutes on a particular issue, because sometimes we feel a little bit better. And the nature of people is, is that I feel a little bit better and I'll go do something else now. No, right. I encourage my clients to stay with it until it's completely gone. Go as deep as you can at this time and maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes with focus. What else is coming up about that issue with every inhale? You're gathering it up from wherever you feel it in your body and your energy and your awareness and your consciousness. You're just bringing it in together. And then in the exhale, you're allowing it to pass through. I love it. That's a I love it. Challenge accepted. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my homework. This was amazing. This was wonderful. Where can our listeners see more of you, learn more about you, learn more about your therapy, any other offerings that you might have? Share with us. Absolutely. So we have, they can go to the levemuna.com, our website. And what they can find there right now, we are offering a membership program called the Vitality Circle. If it's Lev Emuna, the heart of Emuna, then the heart is the source of vitality. And members of this community, uh, we have an ongoing support group on WhatsApp and on Workplace, very organized. We share a class, a new class every week with a time for people to ask their questions, Q&A discussion at the end, and a new meditation, as well as ex we explore texts from Hasidut, from Kabbalah, uh, throughout the week that uh, are really sources for what we are teaching for the Levimuna therapy. And so people can ask more about the, the classes are on the therapy from the Torah, from the Kabbalah, from the Hasidut, exploring these concepts in the texts and then applying it practically so that people can come out of it with tools that they can apply in their life. In the Q&A discussion, we answer their questions. How can they apply this to something specific? So it's almost like a group therapy session, if you like, or a group coaching session. Um, that's something that is really wonderful that we're doing right now. People are really loving it. Uh, it brings a lot of value, not just through what we're sharing with them, but also the support of the community, the people all over the world that are supporting each other and studying this, learning this, applying this, and seeing the results that we're seeking to see. And we are sharing, people share their testimonials, people share their results, manifested miracles. And it's really, really exciting to see. Aside from that, we have, we have done a course called the Elul course, which is a five-part mini course on the fundamentals of Lev Immunotherapy. Anyone who joins the Vitality Circle receives 
free access to that course. And this is a wonderful way for them to uh, understand a little bit more, have some background of what the therapy is and how they can begin to apply it in their life. And then we did a course, a six month course, which is um, also a facilitator training where people who've completed that course uh, receive a certification as a Lev Imuna facilitator, Lev Imuna therapy. Uh, and in that course, we really explained the whole curriculum, the whole system. Um, we explained all the formulas and all the tools and the meditations. And so that's a really fantastic course. Uh, so we have these, uh, these three options right now going on. People can also find me on my YouTube channel. There are many, many classes on the Kutem around there that I did many years ago. And all the new classes that I do now, I upload there as well. So that's uh, for youtube.com forward slash Rabbi Bitan. Um, and I'm on, on Facebook and on Instagram. It's I like amazing. to share these insights with people and whoever would like to understand these insights in greater depth and more practical ways of uh, using these processes and these meditations that they can join the courses and the community. Awesome. Rabbi Bitton, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for the practical advice. This was wonderful, wonderful. And uh, so much success in everything that you do. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to rabbishlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.